Hello everyone, this is Mark Garofli, aka The Pain Guy, host of The Pain Pod, where we like to say, come one, come all to The Pain Pod. So a little bit about myself, uh, my family actually has a vineyard over in Italy, and we have eight pharmacists in our family or farmily. So yes, Thanksgiving dinner should probably have CE credit, right? Now, as far as my background, I worked for a decade with CVS Pharmacy, climbed the corporate ladder, and then was with Humana Healthcare for about five or six years doing telephonic MTM, uh, which uh, led me to developing an MTM pain management program with the WVU School of Pharmacy, and that became a managed care program as well too, which all culminates with my current positions of being director of experiential learning and a clinical pain addiction pharmacist at our W Medicine Pain Clinic. Here on the Pain Pod, we'll be covering pain and addiction like no other. All the headlines, all the time. We'll have some fun, folks. So come one, come all to the Pain Pod. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. We believe pharmacists are the best positioned providers to lead in PGX. Pharmacogenomics is the study of how genes affect a person's response to drugs. This relatively new field combines pharmacology and genomics to develop effective, safe medications and doses that will be tailored to a person's genetic makeup. This podcast is dedicated to pharmacists with an interest in learning more about the data analytics, industry trends, and evidence-based usage of pharmacogenomics. Welcome to PGX for Pharmacists, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. The PGX for Pharmacists podcast is an award-winning show that we're so proud to have several hosts compiling information regarding the science of pharmacogenomics in the hands of the clinical pharmacist who really digs down into the the meaning and then the meaning is is better patient care knowing that you're giving a specific medication to a specific patient at the right time within their treatment and it's going to metabolize the way and it's been intended and really we've talked about a lot of the surface of pharmacogenomics in the hands of the pharmacist but what made me excited as this uh, continues to grow and the publication is now in the top 20 genomic podcast in the world is when Dr. Becky Winslow came to the team and told me we're going to really dig down into very specific uses of pharmacogenomics and one of those usages is pharmacogenomics and chemotherapy or cancer um, treatment and and so on so with that I'd like to welcome back uh Dr. Becky Winslow with the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. Becky, it's been awesome having you part of this publication and you've really leveled this uh, podcast to a whole nother um, stratosphere of knowledge. So thank you so much for that. Thank you, Todd. I love what we're doing. I love the level of evidence and knowledge that we're bringing and, and just advocating for pharmacogenomics because that's what this is all about is um, helping others realize the value of pharmacogenomics and also helping others realize uh, the appropriate use of pharmacogenomics and all of the different um, aspects of pharmacogenomics that a pharmacist might participate in. So let's get started. I am super honored that yet another one of my pharmacogenomics science expert colleagues is joining me on the podcast today to provide you, my audience, with high-quality, evidence-based pharmacogenomics content. 
Uh, today's guest just so happens to be joining us from across the world. Like many of my guests, today's guest started his pharmacist career in what would might be defined as a traditional pharmacist career path. And then he transitioned his career to now create and research pharmacogenomic variant cell lines in the lab. His research will eventually be translated into predictive clinical pharmacogenomic software. So without any more delay, I want to introduce you guys to uh, Mr. Zayed Ibrahim. Uh, he is joining us today from Australia. How exciting. Um, so Zayed is an advanced practice pharmacist with over 35 years experience working as a consultant cancer pharmacist and pharmacogeneticist at the Department of Health of Western Australia. Zayed earned his oncology board certificate uh, USA 2009, and his master's degree in clinical pharmacy at Curtin University in 2012. Uh, he is extremely passionate about improving patients' care, and, and that will come out during this podcast, I'm sure. Um, he's very focused on outcomes uh, that are, can be realized by practicing personalized and precision medicine and oncology. And he's currently a member of the Molecular Tumor Board of Washington, where tailoring treatment to individual patients' uh, NGS MAP mutations is being practiced. He's also a senior research fellow at the University of Washington, leading a pharmacogenomics research project that I alluded to earlier um, that is studying high-dose methotrexate pharmacogenomics. The methotrexate in seriously sick kids, or the MISC study, um, is the project that he's working on now. As well, he is studying for his PhD. So in addition to us being excited that he's here, um, just the honor that he was able to take time or he took time from his schedule to join us. Um, and. You know, Zayed is aspiring. He leads pharmacy profession in Washington and Australia. He wants to inspire pharmacists um, and others uh, for the new era of practicing precision and personalized medicine um, to improve their outcomes. So just a little bit about his personal um, self. He's a family man. Um, not only is he successful, but he has three successful children, um, and he also has a very successful wife. So great, great uh, person, great work, and he wants to share it with others. So let's just jump right in. Uh, Zaya, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Vicky, for having me and uh, for the opportunity to talk to your audience. Absolutely. Uh, we've been trying to get you here for a while, so today's an exciting day. Um, let's discuss your work as a clinical oncology pharmacist in the Australian hospital. What does a typical day look like for a clinical oncology pharmacist in Australia? Yeah, that's a, a very interesting question, Begiv. And um, as you perhaps are aware, the, the day in Australia starting with a very strong coffee, <laughs> as Australian are very uh, well known with, as a coffee connoisseurs. 
Um, so we, we have our strong coffee first, so to wake <laughs> us up. <laughs> and uh, then once I get to the hospital, um, we have a, a quick huddle uh, between the oncology team. And uh, that's usually um, to discuss uh, issues of the day or uh, just bring all the work together and prioritize the, our job. And um, the oncology um, practice in uh, Perth, uh, Western Australia, is actually usually tiered to three levels. Uh, the top level, which is what I do, is the, the, the consulting and um, basically as a clinical lead, we, we discuss uh, uh, major issues or uh, difficult specialized uh, problems or, or, or treatment. And then we go after that and uh, have a look at our list for the day. And we usually work two days ahead in preparation for patient admission for treatment. And uh, uh, we use a third uh, party compounder that compound the chemotherapy for us, which is Baxter. And uh, the, they need certain time to be able to cope with our workload. We're quite a busy unit and uh, we have a lot of patients. We recently embarked on uh, treating um, uh, CLL patients with venetoclax. So we need a lot of ramping and looking after those patients. Then once we do that, the, the second tier is usually look at the charts and verify the protocols and uh, communicate with the clinician if there is anything missing or to ensure the doses are correct and everything. And then the third tier, which is a junior tier, and that's usually uh, a junior pharmacist who, once everything is done and everything is authorized, that junior pharmacist come in to actually dispense everything and uh, label it all the pre-meds and uh, discharge meds. And, um, and then that goes to the unit to uh, be um, administered to patients. Um, in the meantime, we usually have patients uh, with um, the first cycle or repeated um, issues, um, uh, either like um, a new treatment or dose modification. We actually counsel, educate patients, communicate okay. with them about management of side effects and so forth. Um, so usually that's uh, happened throughout the first part of the day. Then mm -hmm. I get to my clinic list. We run an oncology, a pharmacy-led oncology clinic. And uh, that clinic is usually, we see between six to 10 patients a day. And uh, basically we communicate with those patients via telehealth or face-to-face. -face. And uh, we make sure that those patients are looked after. Uh, they're not only oral chemotherapy patients, they also a patient who have some struggling through their treatment or some side effects or have multiple uh, modality treatment, other uh, comorbidities like um, another medication that you know, warrant uh, us to educate them about uh, drug interaction and all the rest yeah. of it. Um, so yeah, so that's that's a usual day for us. Awesome. And, that, um, that's very similar. Yeah. Sounds very similar to processes in the U.S. Wonderful. So uh, I love that you guys um, have pharmacists uh, handling um, 
the pharmacogenomics counseling. I think that's very important. Um, so, Zayed, how how did you first become interested in obtaining in obtaining your PhD degree in the pharmacogenomics of chemotherapy? You know, um, I was interested in pharmacogenomics, and I went out and sought a certificate in pharmacogenomics. A PhD is a much bigger commitment. So, you know, what led you to make that decision? <laughs> it's true. It's very true. It's a very big commitment, and. Yes. Um, I actually, it's um, initially, it was a, a story that got me embarked on the pharmacogenomics, mm -hmm. uh, which is a patient of mine who I was looking after. The patient was around 18, 19 years of age, mm -hmm. and uh, he had an osteosarcoma. Very interesting chap, and um, he was very, um, like, the body surface there were quite. Uh, large, he's a very athletic guy, and um, unfortunately, he got diagnosed with osteosarcoma, and that was devastation for him and his family. Mm -hmm. And I used, usually I was looking after him and talking to his parents and all the rest of it throughout the treatment. And in the second cycle, the first cycle went unremarkable with uh -huh. alternating high dose metrixate with cisplatin doxorubicin, and then uh, the second cycle was a uh, high dose metrixate. Um, the treating clinician was not actually there, the, the one who was initially looking after the patient. Right. So his colleague was looking after him. And I tried to argue with the other clinician that we need to wait until the complete clearance of the high-dose mistrixate. Mm -hmm. And um, he argued against it because it was a weekend and he wanted to send the patient home. And he said, oh, it should be okay. The liver is coming down nicely. There is no problem, send him home. So he insisted to send him home. So I and I sent I educate the patient to take his um, reversal protocol to stay on the reversal protocol for two or three more days, but mm -hmm. we didn't have an access to the patient's bloods or testing. So oh. hence we didn't know what the level was. Mm -hmm. Two weeks later, the patient coming in for his alternating cycle of cisplatin and doxorubicin. And we usually test, uh, we do full blood count before for sure. CBC, before the patient's commencing. And to our surprise, he was neutropenic. So, and he has not used any chemotherapy for two weeks. Right. And that was alarming to me. Mm -hmm. And um, I was discussed with the clinician why he's neutropenic. The last thing he used two weeks ago was mistrixate. And there was no way on earth that he still have a mistress in his system. Right. And um, because I was reading in general uh, to update my knowledge always, and um, I asked the, the clinician at that time to actually humor me and do a mistress at level. Yes. And he went on to my very re reluctantly, he went <laughs> into my recommendation mm -hmm. and did it. And to our mm -hmm. surprise, to his surprise mainly, I was yeah. kind of maybe yes, maybe no. And I was hoping yes, but also hoping no, because I don't want anything to harm mm -hmm. my patients. And mm -hmm. um, to our surprise, the level came as positive and still detectable. And wow. that was uh, a shock to the system because mm -hmm. two weeks later, he still had the trail of mistrixate in his system, which what caused neutropenia. That sparked me to looking further into why a, such a patient, it was not our first patient to treat, 
and hence we we were surprised but alarmed as well and we wanted to know what's going on so i dug in to i did a, what we call it a dirty quick um uh, uh, literature review and mm -hmm. came up across pharmacogenomics of <laughs> the mystery and that was that the spark basically that sparked to me to think about what i want to do from that perspective back then it was very little literature around it right and unfortunately because due to i was very busy pharmacist and sometimes i finished yes i would spend 12 to 13 hours in the mm -hmm. hospital looking after my patients we didn't have a big team like i have now and hence i was taking a lot of things on my on my shoulders and uh, from that, I, I was working at a different hospital, but we were also doing a lot of other complicated <laughs> regimens. Right. And um, th the bottom line is, um, I ended up actually putting it aside. The idea was there, but nothing actually done about it. And 2010, I was actually fi finalizing my project in my for my master's degree. And at that time, I was contemplating whether to finish as such or or go for a different degree or whatever and um Curtin university said to me oh no finish the master project first right. so i have to postpone everything until i actually submit <laughs> my other project which is about gcsf support in um, a patient with lymphoma um yeah. with chop chop r kind of regimen anyway so I, I finished that project and then i have about a, a year or something or maybe a couple of years uh, without any studying or anything like that. At that time, I was hunt, uh, you know, headhunted to to work as a national oncology manager for a group of pharmacies called HPS. So uh -huh. I moved to that leading uh, management position for a couple of years, uh, where I was actually implementing systems across Australia in different pharmacies uh, that that run by this by this company. And for at that time, um, completely away from research or else, and um, changed the company after a couple of years, changed directions, and wanted to to push to more um, financial sort of stimulation right. rather yeah. than um, yeah. set up systems yeah. and safety type of things, which mm -hmm. what I do. So we end up actually parted um, um, uh, from each other. So I end up actually leaving that job. And I have about a month and a month and a half between jobs. And that's when I decided to do my PhD. <laughs> and that was the time when I went back to look at what I actually would like to do for in my life and mm -hmm. how I want to actually spend the rest of my career. Mm -hmm. um, and I decided then to actually open that notebook again that mm -hmm. I wrote that project idea in. And uh, I started actually persuading supervisors to supervise me. Mm -hmm. It wasn't easy because um, usually if you are a student, you work in a project that the supervisors select. Yes. <laughs> yes, <we do. laughs> for 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 um, a student to tell a supervisor <laughs> what need to be done, that yes. was a difficult part. Yes. So it was very a lot of a lot of people was reluctant to actually <laughs> supervise me. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's that was the case, and um, finally got to somebody who actually would like to. Um, w- she was very supportive and understanding, mm-hmm. and she was my colleague actually before, and uh, got into academia a bit earlier than me, and she ended up actually become. A, a professor and hence she knows she knows me very well right and she accepted to supervise me <laughs> so and she she still is Rhonda Clifford I'm really grateful to her and she's the dean of the school at UWI or University of Western Australia and uh, and hence uh, that she's she's still the leading of that project as a, a principal supervisor and uh, I start actually looking at other people who wanted to or have some knowledge of pharmacogenomics. Unfortunately, sure. there is none in Australia. Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> yes. So either a pharmacist or pharmacologist mm-hmm. or a geneticist, but not both. Right. So I end up actually having uh, a geneticist and biochemist in, in my team. He was my second supervisor. Uh, Dr. Evan Ingley or Professor Evan Ingley. He is the his lab where I actually do all my work at the Perkins or Harry Perkins Institute of Medical Research. And then um, and and he was one of my core people as well. Then it, it came I came across other people that I wanted to add as I go along. I needed some expertise in certain areas before right. I start applying for grants. Sure. But before we apply for grants, I, for maybe two or three months, I start actually hunting Howard McLeod <laughs> from Florida yes. Uh, yes. until he actually answered me and yes. uh, agreed to be part of the team. So I'm very grateful to Howard and um, and you know Howard well. So Absolutely. I, I, yeah, and he's he's an inspiring guy. I yes. uh, have a, a lot of uh, discussion with him and um, recently actually we wanted to um, join our effort in uh, the molecular tumor boards and um, as you know he, he ran one in, in Florida and I yes. run, not mm-hmm. run but I, I am a member of a molecular tumor board here in Western Australia and right. uh, basically that's um, you know we wanted to share ideas and share patients and you know give out more perspective to our patients so yeah that's that's basically <laughs> what what well i end up actually what having a, a big team and th- that team is about 10 to 12 people mm-hmm. <laughs> each one has a special a very, um, right. job a special role to do mm-hmm. uh, i i lead the management of the team uh, or the 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 um, the actual process itself, uh, the affairs of the team is led by Rhonda Clifford. So she look after the money, she look after the organization, right. the running day to day research and issues in the research because it is my research. So I'm the one who run the actual research. So right. that's that's basically where we are <laughs> with that project. Um, yeah, so I love that story. I do. I love that story. There's so many, many stories within that story. Correct. Uh, you know, I heard I heard you say that as a pharmacist, you advocated for your patient. 
that's that's one of the first things that's one of the first many stories i heard was that you stood up for that that's very true right um you could have very easily just maybe not focused on it and maybe walked away but you stood up for your patients so you you were a patient advocate um correct i love and, that and believe it or not uh, becky uh, to confirm what you just said mm-hmm. i um you know initially i wanted to do the research i didn't want to study my phd to be mm-hmm. honest with you right. phd was further away from my uh thoughts but uh, <laughs> the everyone when i tell them the type of research that i'm undertaking said are oh, you going to be fool if you don't actually put this <laughs> as a phd that's too much research you could easily get a phd so and hence i i guess i succumb to their recommendation <laughs> and i accepted what they tell me to do right. and um, yeah here i am <laughs> yes um and you know that's another one of the many stories that i loved was that you had ideas you had ideas that you felt like needed to be explored in pharmacogenomics and i can empathize with you of having a supervisor that's not really open to your ideas and wants you to do exactly <laughs> what they say um i won't tell you how many times i might have been in that position but um <laughs> i admire you i admire you and i think that's that's a, a great example for how pharmacists can also advocate for themselves um to say okay well you know i recognize that that maybe this isn't the mentor that i need um but i believe in this project and i believe in this topic so i will find a mentor who believes in me um and who will help me that will help me help patients right that's um, very true i think that's that is another one of the great mini stories within your story um and i think you know as i introduced you at the beginning of this podcast you know another mini story is that you realized that you didn't know everything so you reached out to your network and you found um those persons like dr mccloyd who who helped you with with what yep. you needed help with so the importance of your network um absolutely is is what i heard and and, and 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 that's one of the things um that i learned throughout this process is do not give up on your dreams if your yes. motive is really <laughs> honorable and and really um yes uh, you know like like you know you're standing for the patient you're doing something mm-hmm. for them and mm-hmm. uh, that something will will always be there um that's if right. you actually stay with it that's uh, right you don't give up so that's that's mm-hmm. one of the things that you actually mm-hmm. you learn throughout this process is not never give up don't give up don't give up things don't give up on your patient as well so exactly exactly you know some of my closest friends and relatives told me that i was ruining my life and my career um when i <laughs> when i stepped away from what i call traditional pharmacy um and and now today they are total totally opposite they realize <laughs> they yeah. realize that my passion is what propelled me and kept me going and that when you want to help people you will 
drive, you will do what it takes to um, make that happen. So yeah, it's great to have Absolutely. another. It's great to have another um, do not quitter. <laughs> yep. yep. Talking That's with me true. today. Absolutely. Yes, so let's let's dig a little deeper into your uh, research study since uh, the focus of this podcast is about pharmacogenomics research and science. Can you detail for the audience uh, your research studies design and the outcomes that you've seen thus far? Yeah, okay. So the MISC study is, uh, is a study, it's a translational research, basically. And um, we have to um, basically get funding for, to actually undertake this project. Sure. Uh, or do this study. So it took us about six times, six application to different grants mm -hmm. until we actually won one. And we okay. won a, a bit more than a quarter of a million Australian dollars to do this research or this work over two years. So it's the funding, while it seems to be a lot of money, but it's actually <laughs> hardly, barely enough. Oh. Um, because because the cell work it takes a lot of money and so yes. it's the animal work as well. Yes. Anyway, that leads us to the actual design of the study. So the initial design, I designed it myself in in uh, three phases, uh, um, and the phase one was basic science genomic works with a genomic creating a genomic model. Mm -hmm. And then in, and create that genomic model in order to actually test our hypotheses and quantify the effect of um, the, the variance of sure. certain enzymes and, and protein uh, transporter. Mm -hmm. That's actually in, into the folic acid cycle, which is concerning the mystric site. So we wanted to design that model in order to actually be able to quantify the effect. So if there is a difference, to tease that difference, but then also to give it a magnitude or a value, which is help us designing our tool at the end, which I'll get to. So that was the initial thing, the, the model itself, the genomic sure. model. Mm -hmm. then, then we wanted to take that genomic model from cell line to animal, like in vivo, from in vitro to in vivo. Yes. And then apply to animal to see if there is any changes. And then from the animal, we're gonna actually do a retrospective study, which is our phase three, on certain number of patients, pediatric patients who suffer uh, ALL or acute lymphoblastic leukemia and uh, or uh, osteosarcoma which is both require high dose mistrixate. So we have the majority of our patients was ALL patients and some of them was osteosarcoma patients. So mm -hmm. I think it's about um, 80 to 90% ALL and 20, 10 to 20% osteosarcoma. Okay. And we, we look for 16, 60 patients. Um, and basically, what we did, what we end up doing is created our genomic model. So we created um, uh, uh, a genomic model that's across three different cell lines, yes. which is one, one was ALL cell line or lymphoblastic leukemia cell line. 
and also osteosarcoma cell line. And mm -hmm. then we have a third cell line, which is normal cell line that is actually just as a control. So then when we change that, we have a look at the control and the control will tell us whether the effect we see in the um, cancer cell lines will, is, is it uh, something significant. Sure. But also the control cells is actually will reflect how severe the side effect is because the side effects that happen in the patient is actually due to the effect on the normal cells, right. not on the cancer cells. Mm -hmm. So hence that has two uh, valuable uh, meanings. Those presence of the normal cell lines are equally important. So we, we work to actually remove these, the certain enzymes and protein transporters from mm -hmm. those cell lines. We uh -huh. call them knockout cell lines. And then we put back in the enzyme we bought with different variants or different mm -hmm. um, polymorphism. So each, what we call a daughter cell line to each major cell line has different variants of the, those protein transporters and uh, enzyme <coughs> or gene. Uh, um, gene enzyme. So from basically, we created those different cohort or what we call it phenotypes. And then we tested mistrixate in a, in a staggered or, or different concentration of mistrixate mm -hmm. across all of these uh, okay. phenotypes. Sure. Then based on that, we actually um, analyze uh, through uh, genetic analysis um, the effect, which is what we call it the cytotoxicity. So we look at the, the number of cells in a, in a certain uh, size well, and uh -huh. so forth, and determine, compare it to different uh, phenotypes, and then determine the effect whether that this initially we just look for the sensitivity of the model rather mm -hmm. than actually finalize the experiment. Because that's how it works. We, we can formulate the model, then modify it to actually, if there is something that's not quite right, until we actually happy with everything, then we can run the final experiment, which it doesn't take long. It's mm -hmm. all, what takes long is the actually the design and achievement and the model itself, rather right. than running the experiment. The experiment can run over four or five <laughs> days. Yes. That's about it. But it's a lot of work going in for those three, four, five days. Yes. Um, so, and then we also did it chemically as well, not just genetically. Right. So we look That's at the actual concentration uh -huh. of the mistrixate inside the cells and in the media. So okay. when we dose the cells, we, we spike the media with a certain dose of mistrixate. And then we we leave them to grow, mm -hmm. see how much they grow mm -hmm. from say 48 hours post dose and have a look at the number of cells for different uh, phenotypes. And then we kill those cells, yes. separate them, separate them first from the actual media and take the media, look at the mistrixate content in that, 
we all already know the, the initial concentration of the mystrixate. Right. Then we also kill the cells, lyse them, and extract the mystrixate from that lysate and test it. That's so, and, <laughs> and, and because nobody has done this type of work yeah. this way, there is a lot of things we thought of it as we go along. Those mm -hmm. days, there was a lot of innovation in the way we actually did our research. Absolutely. Uh, so each each step of the way is a paper in itself, if that yes. makes sense. <laughs> so, for example, when we did wanted to do testing chemically, we selected HPLC, and we could not find any where any literature about HPLC methodology in cell lysate and cell media. So those matrices would never have done before mm -hmm. in that fashion, which mm -hmm. means, and, and I struggled actually find somebody who can let me use the HPLC yes. to do this, this experiment because quit. <laughs> nobody was convinced that this is doable. Right. And that's a different hurdle, but but anyway, <laughs> the final outcome of the initial testing and an initial uh, uh, experiment actually shows that the model is sensitive to different concentrations, which is what we needed to, uh, to mm -hmm. establish before mm -hmm. we run the final experiments. Mm -hmm. And that is that's basically I present this this paper uh, for in two conferences in Australia here. And uh, I actually did it in BGRN as well as a, as a uh, virtual poster um, last year. So from that perspective, I have a lot of people interested to actually chat or start Absolutely. some fraction uh, mm -hmm. around um, what can we do with this mm -hmm. um, uh, model. Now, at the moment, um, because the animal model to tr translate that to animal, we have to design the animal itself. And that's one of the things that very costly. And sure. uh, it won't, uh, initially, my geneticist said to me, oh, we can just, uh, you know, put the tumor into the animal and test right. it. Mm -hmm. the, the, cells, the cell line that we created in the lab we can just put it into the animal. I said, I don't think it's going to work that way. We need the animal itself to have that mutation. And he kind of did not really take my word for it because I'm not a geneticist and he's the one who's supposed to know what he's doing right. and so forth. Halfway through the research, he then he said to me, yeah, I don't think this is actually going to be beneficial. I said, I told you so. I told you so. <laughs> I told you so. Anyhow, so I cut the story short. Um, we decide to actually shrink. We actually decide to to use only animal model for the osseous sarcoma, mm -hmm. and because osseous sarcoma, we can actually put it under the skin and it will grow. But leukemia will not actually be doable. So we shrunk our right. animal experiment mm -hmm. to a very limited number of of animal. Okay. Uh, we were very careful not to use animal if we don't have to, because we're very conscious about this. Right. And it's very regular sort of uh, uh, review about animal experiments here in, in sure. Australia. So we kind of very um, limited to the number of animal we needed to use. We have to justify exactly why and how 
and if there is anything anywhere else we can do without actually have to use animals. So anyway, we 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 kind of get authorized for fifty six uh, uh, mice, but then now we're gonna end up actually using I think about sixteen out of those fifty six. So um, just for that, just to prove the concept that sure. whatever we achieved in the or commerce line <laughs> is achievable in in the model in the animal model um, as such, which is um, kind of not exactly what we wanted to achieve, but it's, um, it's uh, I guess, a compromise. Survival. Yeah. Still valuable, still absolutely yeah. valuable. I, yeah. I, love, I love these stories that you're telling where, you know, as the farm D pharmacist, maybe your ideas aren't taken quite as seriously because you're not supposed to be the expert. <laughs> um, and you know, so how many times have I been in that place where, you know, I raise my hand and I speak up and someone, you know, another healthcare professional that, uh, you know, is supposed to know more or et cetera. Um, so I love that. I love that, that you keep hanging in there. No matter how many times um others tell you no no we're not listening <laughs> yes that's very true but i think i think it it comes with experience becky it comes with going through a lot of um different discipline and different yes. uh workplaces but yeah. also one of the things that it comes that if you believe in yourself so Absolutely. if you believe in your ability and yourself Yes. Without cockiness, don't get me wrong. That's right. Without Absolutely. without feeling cocky or arrogant or anything like that. It's actually mm -hmm. the other way around. Mm -hmm. they, usually when people are arrogant, they dismissive. Yes. They don't converse. But when you when you know what you're doing, you kind of try to convince other people rather than just dismiss them. And uh, you talk through the issues and then when you if you reach a, a block or a hurdle. Mm -hmm. Okay, you take, you agree to proceed in a certain fashion, hopefully, uh, and then see the outcome. It may Absolutely. waste a little bit of time, but that time is valuable mm -hmm. uh, because you learn through that time. Absolutely. You, and other people also will learn through that time. So mm -hmm. there's nothing wasted. It's all about learning, uh, all about experience. So it is very important to actually, if, you know, while we were young, we were just very pushy and very <laughs> eager to get to get where we wanted to be. But it it's actually counterintuitive. So it's, it's mm -hmm. it actually defeat your purpose because you're pushing too much in a direction maybe correct, maybe not, and right. your experience is very limited. So you're kind mm -hmm. of not really sure, but you try to show that you know. <laughs> all of these kind yeah. of things so i think i think what i'm trying to say is is that you know be more patient and be more mm -hmm. humble about what you but at the same time have a belief in yourself and if you're missing something admit it and try to learn through through the yes. process absolutely and that's basically what you can do and at the end of the day the benefit when we talk about healthcare the benefit comes to the patient absolutely it's not coming to you if you think the benefit will come to you mm. then you're not achieving anything no. so if it's all about you you're not achieving anything mm -hmm. because guess what you go and somebody else will do maybe a better job 
But if you achieve for the patient, your name will always be there. You mm -hmm. are the one who stood by the patient at all time mm -hmm. and you didn't give up on them. And you did what you do to actually take care of, of them and do your job to the best of your ability. And they will always remember you. You will always yes, make, make, a, make a dent in your life, make a, yes. a, a very, uh, and you actually learn from your patient more than what they learn <laughs> from you because every one of them has their own story as well. So yes, they do. It, it, is, it is very inspiring. Yes. And, uh, I'm grateful that I actually be able to, to do this work. <laughs> yes. Um, Zayed, I can't thank you enough for not only sharing your research, sharing your life stories, your um, dedication, your, you know, your tips for how to believe in yourself and how to express yourself um, <clears throat> in a way that's well received. I mean, you have provided us a wealth of knowledge and information during this podcast. I would love to keep going. Uh, we're going to have to wrap up this episode, but I really want you to come back. I really do. Um, you have so much more information to share with the audience, <clears throat> including you know, how pharmacists might uh, pursue um, you know, pharmacogenomics research just as you did and, and maybe some of your future aspirations for helping others to achieve um, that type of career path. So I'd love for you to come back. Um, you know, thank you so much. And just before we wrap up, how can our listeners contact you if they want more information? Um, how, how do you prefer for them to contact you? Look, on, you know, email would be perfect. Uh, uh, my mobile phone, um, I'm more than happy for you to broadcast that. I can read them out for you if you would like to. Um, um, ziad.ibrahim at uwa.edu.au, which is my university email. Um, that's much easier. It's easy <laughs> to hop into uh, uh, University of WA website. Uh, you will find my picture there, and uh, you can just click on the link and, and contact me. Um, my cell number, which is a little bit international phone call, <laughs> so I don't want to actually ask uh, sure. to, too much, but um, you can hop on my LinkedIn profile, which uh, you know it, Becky, by heart, so you can yes. <laughs> most welcome to pass that on, and I'm um, happy yes. to receive um, any communication from your listeners and, and uh, followers. So, thank you um, so much. I'll be I'll be honored honored to actually help any other. Awesome! Thank you so much again for joining us. Um, we we look forward to talking to you again. Oh, absolutely! Thanks for your interest in PGX and for spending some time with us. Please share this podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For all of our episodes, please visit pgx4rx.com. That's pgx4rx.com.